Well, it wasn't the first time that he hadn't noticed uh, blood weeping uh, from a wound in his hand. He'd been gripping his tools far too hard again due to the loss of feeling that he had in his hands, and it had cut right through the flesh and, 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 and into the bone. It wasn't until the gentle presence of his wife came in and just lifted his hand before him that he could see the wound, that he could see the bleeding, that he knew uh, for all intents and purposes that his life uh, as he knew it was over. It was becoming hard to ignore the wounds that his body was accumulating over the past few months, over the past year. But his life was not over physically. Uh, he, he'd be going on physically. He would endure uh, these conditions uh, for, for many years, for, for many months. But what was coming to an end in this man's life was relationships. Relationships with society, relationships with family. Relationships uh, with his faith community, religious community. Across all lines, this man was now about to become an outcast. The dreadful condition of leprosy would over time turn him into a living corpse of weeping wounds, of disfigured limbs, decaying flesh. The emerging of the outward and visible signs of what had been an inward and invisible but deadly disease. Leprosy meant more than just the loss of health. It was the loss of family, it was the loss of friends, of home, of livelihood, the loss of religious ceremony and inclusion. It, it cut you off from all things. It created distance between you and all things. It essentially made you unclean. Well, he would go before the priests. They would examine him with accordance to Leviticus 13, and they would declare him unclean. And he would have to dress in uh, torn clothes. He would have to have his hair unkept. He would have to cover up the bottom half of his face and live in quarantine in a camp outside the city limits where he would live a life of irreversible death, of unchangeable uh, separation, of overwhelming need. He can't help but think it sounds a little bit like what Victorians have been living through in the past few months. We have a small taste a very small insight into what it means to have a disease that can rob you of of the life of relationships of the life of inclusion of the life of physical touch and we've come to see if you like the necessity uh, of isolation in the prevention of the spread of a disease so these Old Testament measures uh, that were put in place to ensure the safety of community and the suppression and the transmission of of uh, contagious diseases all of a sudden become more tangible to us the idea that you'd you know you'd make someone come and, and cover up you know the the bottom half of their face doesn't seem so draconian anymore well perhaps it still does but it doesn't seem as foreign and we may not have people running around uh, as, as they had to crying out unclean unclean so that so that people knew what was going on as they approached them but try getting through a checkpoint somewhere in this city or as you go out into rural you know, Victoria when your license is crying out, Victorian, Victorian. Might be a bit theatrical, might be a bit dramatic. But living in a pandemic gives us a little bit of insight into the necessity of Levitical law. Levitical law in a, in a pre-scientifically, medically developed world. And where the fear... Uh, 
and the fear that can be created by an incurable, invisible disease. We have come to see uh, this law and its practical means, not, not merely uh, just its religious means and, and, and the lessons that are enshrined in the Levitical law. Now, a lot of time, or at least, at least some of the time, certainly, people who were put into isolation, uh, they made recoveries. Leprosy is a bit like a a junk drawer uh, when it comes. Uh, It describes a range of infections and diseases. Not always fatal, uh, but always contagious and always had the capacity for defiling and making someone unclean. So they were separated until a priest could declare them clean, until a priest could come and in accordance with Leviticus 14 say that the person was cured. Now there's not much point to Leviticus 14 if there's no expectation of recovery from some of these diseases and Leviticus 14 sets out how a person was welcomed back into community how a person was welcomed back into society into religious standing with this eight day long celebration and and ceremony of ritual where the person was cleansed and washed and shaven uh, examined and and then and then cleaned and washed again um, and then, and then examined, and at the end of eight days, the, the, you know, the priest would examine them and say, you know what, there's no more sign of any of this illness, and, and then he would bring them back into community. But not before rededicating uh, the person uh, to service with God by anointing them uh, on their thumb, on the, on the lobe of their ear, and on their big toe with, with some of the blood that had been used in some of the sacrifices along the way, and, and oil that, that for, for anointing. And this symbolized, uh, you know, that, that this person would, would now be rededicated to hear the word of God, that, that, would, that they would use their hands, that whatever they would do or turn their hand to would be for the service and, and, and work of God, that, that wherever their feet would lead them, that, that they would be led in the service and work of God. And then at the end of it all, oil would anoint the person over their body, symbolizing their total life commitment, at which point, Actual uh, atoning sacrifices for sin and guilt would be made. We have to remember that these people have missed and not been able to come into worship, into the temple to make sacrifices for sin, to, to live in accordance with the Jewish customs and law. So now in this moment, they get to do it all again. Their lives renewed. It is a moment of great joy. You cannot begin to imagine the kind of celebration as these ceremonies take place that is going on inside the heart of this person inside of the community uh, that they are being restored to. This is a moment of great joy. It's like getting that text from the DHHS to say you're out of quarantine. You can go and you know, move freely in your own home again. However, no such hope uh, is in sight for this man on this day. This man's condition is fatal. It is well advanced. Dr. Luke tells us he's, he's full of leprosy. Our good doctor, who is not prone to exaggeration, is letting us know the seriousness of his condition, the complete and all-compelling seriousness of his condition. He is a man who has an overwhelming need and has no way of addressing it, has no way of escaping it. Now, the restrictions that this man lived under were never designed to completely um, excommunicate him from the care and the awareness of the community. The primary concern was to prevent and stop the spread of disease, uh, to prevent and stop the spread of uh, ritual uncleaning, contaminating, you know, uh, the unclean, making what is clean, unclean, that kind of stuff. 
The law had practical concerns, it had welfare concerns, and they ran both ways. However, over the journey of time, if you like, good, clean, uh, religiously uh, people became more and more concerned about protecting and preserving their, their piety, you know, their condition, their clean, cleanliness, rather than caring for and restoring those on the outside back into the community. They feared how the unclean made the clean unclean. In fact, by, um, made the clean unclean. Did I get it right? Uh, by, in fact, by the time that Luke writes this, um, this account of Jesus' life, rabbinical teaching, not Levitical law, said that a leper, if a leper even put their head in the door of your home, the whole house was unclean. You had to literally go and grab the Glen 20 and spray down the whole house again in order for it to be clean, just by the mere appearance of his head in the doorway. That you couldn't even greet a leper. That you weren't to acknowledge him. This meant no contact. You couldn't breach your brother with that affectionate kiss. You couldn't hug them. Again, not actually in Levitical law. And in fact, that they were required to socially distance by then. A hundred cubits if they were upwind from someone, and four cubits if they were downwind from someone. So 25 feet if if the wind could blow through them and, and whatever contagion on them would wander past you, and four feet if it was on the other side. Or six feet, sorry, if it was on the other side. On top of this, campfire theology held that leprosy was directly a sign of God's punishment for sin. That lepers, these lepers, must have committed some kind of grievous sin in order for God to to punish them like this. This is the kind of doctrinal cruelty and theological absurdity that arises when, when people look into Scripture and they take what is a unique and particular event like the cursing of Miriam there in Numbers 21, when God, you know, Moses' sister, when God, God made her leprous for her poor form and all the rest of it. When we take uh, those, those unique and singular events and, and we make them normative and we make them general, when we do this, we begin to create a system where health and wealth and prosperity are the signs of God's favor and misfortune, signs of his displeasure, and rather than uh, have, a, have a design where God uses uh, the wealthy to bless the poor and care for the poor, which is the overarching concern of the law, the rich and the wealthy are seen as those that God blesses and the poor are not. And it creates distance and it creates a gap and it's just very poor. But truth be known, the plight of lepers in the Old Testament is illustrative of the effects of sin, not consequential of the practice of sin. Their condition was often used throughout the Bible to illustrate or serve as a symbol, a graphic picture of the the nature and the condition of sin in humanity. An ugly but accurate illustration of our spiritual condition. In reality, a person who had leprosy was no more sinful than, than anyone else walking around. But the biblical writers used the condition and the symptoms as visual aids to help us see our spiritual reality, to help us see what we look like to God, what sin made us look like to God. Like leprosy, sin makes us unclean, unable to be in the presence of God. Like leprosy, the depravity of sin and its symptoms are disfiguring. It distorts and corrupts uh, the person that God created us to be. It defaces the image bearer. 
Like leprosy, sin causes a person a loss of life, a loss of relationship, in particular with God. Sin is a living death. Like leprosy, sin is this living death. And the Bible is also clear that there is no cure for this apart from the Christ. Apart from God's Savior, there is no cure for either. And as Paul says in Ephesians 2, uh, 2 5, we are dead in our trespasses. And it's only the kindness of God, His rich mercy, His great love towards sinners, His grace offered to us in Jesus that we are made alive again. So when Jesus heals the leper, it's more than a sign of His authority over the world of sickness and death, though it is certainly that. Jesus is painting an illustration, a visual aid for the hearts and the minds of those who are asking the question, Who is this Jesus? Well, he is the Christ, the one who heals lepers. And by association, the one who heals spiritual death, who brings dead spiritual hearts to life, who, who, who uh, reduces the separation of sin that, that, the, that the leprous heart has, that leprosy has been, has been so vividly depicted. The one who can make us clean and acceptable, to be in the presence of God, the one who restores us fully back into community. This is Jesus doing exactly what he said he had come to do in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed by God to proclaim good news to the poor, sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is Jesus reversing and healing and overthrowing the the physical intrusion of sin into the human condition. And as he does, it serves as great graphic metaphors to what he is also doing for the spiritual condition of the human heart. How he can release people from spiritual enslavement of sin. Well, Luke tells us that this healing took place in in one of the cities, not the natural habitat of a leper, as we've discussed. Matthew's account has this moment as Jesus being surrounded by the crowds as he come down from the Sermon of the Mount. So you can imagine the kind of drama uh, as this man, full of leprosy, his rancid, disfigured body makes its way towards Jesus, calling it unclean, unclean, violating every uh, convention of polite society, if you like. Well, people don't know whether to run, they don't know whether to grab their kids and run, or whether to grab rocks and just throw stones at this dude and, and stop his progression towards Jesus. One thing is certain this man has risked everything, he is desperate. And that desperation has dragged him to Jesus. He has come to Jesus out of his overwhelming sense of personal need. This too is a vivid picture of how we must come to Jesus. The only thing that we can bring to the table is our need, our complete need. We don't approach Jesus and say, oh, you know what? I just need a little bit of help. I only got a little bit of leprosy in me. I just need a little bit of help in the area, in some area. Uh, you know, could you just help me be a better husband, a better dog owner? We don't come to Jesus in a controlling way. We come to him saying, unclean, unclean, in need, in need. We must come in a dependent way, in a way that trusts our very lives to his care and his authority. We must see Jesus as our only hope of being healed. We must come needy of his grace. 
Well, you want to know what? No doubt, uh, uh, the kinds of stories that have been circulating about Jesus, that they would get traction uh, in a leper's camp. You know, these kinds of stories would, would have great interest in, in a camp of lepers, of those marginalized. You know, I heard that Jesus' birth was miraculous, that it was surrounded by the, the activity of God. Yeah, well, I heard that he, that he rocked up to a church service and claimed to be the Messiah, uh, the anointed the one, the one who, who's going to bring Lear of the Lord's favor to, to, the, to the marginalized, to the broken, to the diseased, uh, to the outcast, to the oppressed. Yeah, well, I heard that he actually, that he actually healed a demon-possessed man, that he has authority over the spiritual world. Yeah? Well, I heard that he was healing all kinds of sick people, all kinds of people with various disease. Never mind that. I heard he healed someone's mother-in-law. Like, is there no end to this man? As these stories circulate, as they're thrown around, something irresistible gets hold of our leper friend. He perceives in these stories uh, that he has heard about Jesus, that Jesus is no ordinary man. This leper is having a moment like Peter had in the boat. Could he be the son of God? Could he, could he have come into the world to do radically transforming things? Could he have come to actually deal with, with our sinful condition? These, these are the possibilities. So in courageous but respectful faith, in utter dependency on what Jesus will do, he throws himself, this leper throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Mark tells us that this, that this leper continuously, he petitioned, he made it known that it was within Jesus' power to heal him. Luke simply says that he fell on his face and he begged. He laid prostrate in a position of submission to Jesus. This is a combination of humility and desperation. It is a picture of complete vulnerability and Hope. His words, Lord, Kiros, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Reveal that this leper knows that Jesus can heal him. But, but, but will he? He does not come half-hearted or insincere. He does not come out of, out of self-loathing either. He comes humbly and he comes expectantly. But what will happen to this leper? What will Jesus do? Uh, that's the question that is, that is just choking the air of this city. The crowd is hushed now to see what's going to happen. And what Jesus does next just turns religious history, uh, its whole narrative, its whole understanding upside down. Completely reverses how we think about what is required to get God's forgiveness, what we need to do in order to come into God's favor. You know, perhaps at best the leper could have hoped that Jesus would just stand at a safe distance, sort of thing, and and by his word he would heal him. Or, 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 you know, maybe he would go and tell the leper to go and do something, to go and wash in a pool or, or, or in a river. There's, there's a precedence for that, that, that this leper would have to go and clean himself up and do something himself and then come back and who knows, there could be a second round. But never in his wildest dreams could he have conceived that this rising star of the religious world, this, this holy man, this son of God, would actually reach out and touch him. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
Why does Jesus touch this man and in doing so breach every social and ceremonial and religious practice? The idea of touching a leper was unspeakable because his, his, his physical and his spiritual uh, uncleanness was, was seen as contagious, was seen as transferable. Remember, this man has not been able to come into the temple to worship. He has not been able to come and, and make atonement for any of his sins for years and years. He's been in contact with other unclean people. This man is a plague of contagious uncleanness. And ordinarily, when something unclean touches the clean, what was clean becomes unclean as well. But here for the first time in history, here for the first time in religious understanding anywhere, things ran the other way. As cleanliness of Jesus healed and invaded and restored this leper. It is a beautiful picture of grace. The leper does nothing. The leper's got nothing. It's all on the activity and the authority and the work of Jesus. Instantly and completely, new skin emerges on his body. New, new toes emerge out of his feet. Fingers, face, things re- healed, restored, hair on his head, uh, feeling returning to the leper for the first time, he can now feel the weight of Jesus' hand on his head. You know, for years, this man has never known or felt the touch of another person. He's never even had someone come into his proximity at all. We've had a small taste of the emotional and the psychological impact that this, that this kind of quarantining, this kind of separation can, can have on a person. And now... And now Jesus touches him. Far from abhorring contact with this leper, with the unclean, Jesus, the Son of God, stretches out his hand and touches his uncleanness. This is the kindness of God in full and living color. This is the compassion of God towards sinners. Jesus' divine power reverses and heals the disease. Jesus' divine love of of, of willing words and compassionate touch signal the restoration of relationships, uh, signal the, the coming of reunion with family, the inclusion back to community, the approval of access to worship. And, and, and live in the presence of God, the touch of Jesus just restores, begins to restore this person in, in all his wholeness, emotionally and psychologically. This is not just a healing of a disease. This is a full picture of salvation. This is what salvation looks like. It's a picture of what coming into contact with Jesus does to sinners. It's what happens when overwhelming need meets overmastering grace. The normal expectations are reverse. The restoration of the leper serves for us as this kind of uh, prophetic picture of the purpose of the cross. Just as the touch of Jesus transfers regeneration and and restoring of of righteousness to this leper, the cross is going to be the place where Jesus takes on our death to give us life. The cross is going to be the place where people full of sin come into contact of the love of God, where relationships that sin has destroyed are overmastered with this vaccine of grace. 
Well, it's the prospect of this reunion. It's the prospect of this restoration that Jesus sends our boy off to see the priests. They are going to make official uh, the reality of what Jesus has just done. And in doing so, making sure that this man is not robbed of his place, uh, his new place in life. Making sure he receives the full and joyous experience of being uh, declared clean, of rejoining the covenant community. And at the same time, Jesus is shooting a message across the bow of the religious leaders, across the bow of organized religion about the nature of Jesus' ministry. He is not just some miracle worker. He is the Son of God come to destroy the very grip and condemnation that sin has on the lives of people. He has the power to restore both flesh and the soul, to reconcile, uh, to make pe- to reconcile relationships, to make people clean, to give them a new condition, a new identity, a new standing with God. To make them loved, to let them know they're loved, to let them know they're approved, that they're welcome, that they are now placed in a healing community again, healing people, helping others to be healed, a place where they can now come and worship God under a new identity, repurposed again, uh, from their head to their hand to their toe, to live for God, hearing His word, uh, serving His world. And go on where he may lead. You want to know this, this miracle, this moment with the leper lets us know something. That no matter how far away from God you feel, your spiritual condition has led you. No matter how full of leprous sin you feel you may have become. No matter how grievous the things that you have done you may feel have disqualified you. Nothing is beyond the reach and the touch of Jesus. Nothing is so ugly uh, that it would make him turn away. Nothing is so vile to keep him at a distance. You cannot outsin the grace of God found in Jesus. You cannot outsin the work of Jesus on the cross, where Jesus takes on our ugliness to make us clean, where Jesus is cut off from God to bring us close. You know, the only thing you need to encounter this grace is overwhelming need. Overwhelming need that drives us humbly but boldly to the overmastering, soul uh, sin destroying, soul restoring grace of God found in Jesus. This is what the gospel is. This is what grace is. Jesus finds us in our place of need, not because he wants to push us down there, but because he wants to lift us up from there. So that we would know that this new life that we have in him, that we would know this restoration is never, ever, ever done by our works, by what we can do. But it is always carried by the strong, powerful authority and grace of Jesus. So as we go on this journey, and as from time time to time we dip back down into our leprous condition, we know that that does not uh, relinquish us from the grip of grace because we were never pulled up into it by our own strength. That this, that, that this Jesus, that his overmastering grace will journey with us, will carry us all the way. And the question is, have you come there? Have, have you been there? Have you encountered Jesus this way, like a leper? 
unclean, unclean, in need, in need. To have Jesus reach out and just grab you and just pull you close to him and into his, into his family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for this passage, this chapter, uh, this recording of, uh, of Jesus' encounter with the leper that we find here in Luke 5. How it shows us the love and grace and mercy of God towards sinner is it's so different to what we naturally think. Our natural assumption is that we have to make ourselves good, that we have to clean ourselves up, that we have to do something to come into contact with God. And here we find that we do nothing, but God comes into contact with us, grabs us, pulls us up out of our own filth. Lord, we pray that as we come to see God like this, that our hearts will be warm with affection for, for God. And we pray that if we have never come into that space, where we have never kind of crawled into that space of overwhelming need and been met with overmastering grace, that this morning your spirit would just pull us forward. That we would say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I pray that if you've never, ever kind of jumped into that space before, that this morning you would do that. If, if that's the new song of your heart, you know, get in contact with us. Lord, we thank you uh, for this word and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.